Welcome back to the Cowboy Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Sharp, joined by co-host Chad Waldron. Hey, Justin. It's good to be here again. And today's special guest, folks, get ready for this introduction, retired Naval Master Chief, Petty Officer, and current nuclear engineer at Naval Nuclear Propulsion Program Headquarters in Washington, D.C., Kirk Waldron. Hi, guys. So, uh, once again, we are in a school shutdown, which is sucks, but I mean... Uh, I guess if we're staying safe, that's what has to happen. But we had a couple more COVID positive cases in Lake County. I actually think quite a few, and there was one of them in the school. So for the last week, two weeks now, we've been shut down. Right, Mr. Walden, is that a good way to put that? Yes, and my understanding is is we expect to be back in school on Monday. Oh, awesome. Wait, so are you? is your 14-day quarantine going to be up then by then? Yes, it will. Yep. Oh, good. Okay. How's that been going? I am not sick, uh, but I'm bored. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So let's just go ahead and get right into our interview with Kirk Waldron. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, so again, Kirk Waldron, I'm um, the brother of your Mr. Waldron there. I call him Nat. I hear you guys call him Chad or Mr. Waldron. Yeah, uh, Chad, Nat, Nat's my alias, yeah. so I don't go by that name anymore. <laughs> so anyway, I'm his brother, older brother. Um, I'm uh, been 26 years in the United States Navy. Nine, Master Chief Petty Officer. Um, at the last five years of that time, working at Naval Reactor Headquarters in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, prior to that, I was an aircraft carrier, nuclear machinist mate, um, for 21 years on, on three different aircraft carriers. Um, currently living in Maryland, just outside of D.C., uh, with my wife and one of our adult children who won't leave the nest. And I have three- <laughs> I have three other children scattered kind of around the country, one here in Virginia, one in Washington State, and then one in Idaho. What aircraft carriers were you on? My first aircraft carrier was the USS Nimitz. Uh, I went from there to the USS Enterprise, the oldest aircraft carrier at the time. She's currently uh, decommissioned, but I was there for five years. And then I went to the USS Ronald Reagan during her new construction period in North uh, uh, Newport News, Virginia, and then stayed on her for about a year after she was uh, put to sea. And then I went back to the Enterprise uh, for the final four years there. Um, yeah, so those three aircraft carriers, one of them I did twice. Yeah, so you guys grew oh, up on a dairy farm in Idaho, correct? We did. <clears throat> so what's that like, going from the jump of a dairy farm in Idaho to the East Coast, which is a big enough jump, but then going on to aircraft carriers and doing nuclear stuff? What's that like? So it was interesting. Growing up on the farm, dad had five boys, so he didn't need technology or machinery. He had manpower. <laughs> um, he didn't He didn't need, you know, a fancy bail wagon. He didn't need anything because he had just had five boys bucking hay. Uh, we didn't have a computer. We didn't have, you know, we didn't hardly even have TV sometimes. But uh, so we just old-fashioned old dairy farming, you know. Um, it's amazing how as soon as we left, he kind of updated the whole the whole operation is probably I, had I, to. <laughs> I was I was gonna go there, you know. And after after we all decided and let him know we were not interested in taking over and run that dairy, all of a sudden we had a bail wagon and we had uh, fancy equipment and large wheel lines. Wheel lines, yeah. I, we didn't have any wheel lines when we were moving pipe. All, all hand lines. Pick it up and move it by hand. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember I remember the, the height of technology for our time there on the dairy was when we got automatic takeoffs on the milk machines 
That was just the neatest thing Holy ever. Holy cow. <laughs> what years were this in? That was sometime in the early 80s. Wow. And that finally came around. So, you know, good old-fashioned dairy. Worked by hand, which was good in a way. It taught us to work hard, but, man, it sucked. And we all ran away from the dairy as fast as we could, I, I think. Bet. So. I don't blame you with, with that kind of Kirk, work. <laughs> Kirk, do you still have nightmares about leaving the line in the tank and getting putting acid and stuff in there and, and antibiotics? All the time, yep. Been losing a whole tank of milk for putting the not putting the the washing water into the washing tub instead of leaving it lined up to the tank. Yeah, it was horrible. Huh. More than once. Fifty years old and I still have that nightmare, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> huh. my, my, my my nightmares re- resolve around the rats and the mice running around the farm and in the grain bins too. So that's that was a nightmare. So I guess, did you go from that and did you try to find the biggest possible jump you could make into nuclear work in the Navy? It was, it, it was a complete accident, honestly. Oh, wow. Um, so, so after graduating from high school, I went and spent a year at uh, Utah State University, uh, really unsure what I wanted to do. So I didn't do a lot of it and lost my scholarship and got kicked out. Um, went and worked uh, for... Tri Miller beef packing plant for a year where we, we cut up 1500 head of cows a day. And I'll tell you, that was pretty therapeutic after years and years of milking cows, cutting them up was very therapeutic, <laughs> but, but that job just sucked. It was horrible. Um, and one day my brother, Kevin, between me and Chad there, um, brought a Navy recruiter home from school who'd, who'd been trying to sell all the kids at school on the Navy and I just sat there and listened because I was, and I had no intention to join in, had no interest in it really, but he kept making it sound really good, talking about money and seeing the world. And so I just said, well, let me go look into this a little more. Uh, turns out my brother Kevin was disqualified because he's legally blind at the time in one eye. Um, but I ended up joining the Navy. Uh, had no idea about it, didn't know anything about it, um, but it sounded better than sticking around milking those cows or cutting up those cows. So. Uh, it sort of fell on me by accident and turned out to be kind of the, the love of my life from a job and a activity point of view. Okay. So, so, I mean, you chose your career, but it was more of a, this is the only, it's not the only option, but this is the least bad options out of all the way to go. Yeah, that was kind of the thought at first. This is, this is not as bad as what I'm doing. We'll go see what it looks like for a few years. Yeah. Um, turned out just couldn't get away from it once I got into it. Uh, I, I enjoyed it too much. It was it was fun. It was exciting. It was different, and it wasn't milking cows. Yeah. So. Did you instantly like it? Because basic training is the first thing you do, right? Basic training was fun. Um, so before did you I say joined, it was fun? It was fun. Oh. Uh, so before I joined the Navy, a year year two years before that, I joined the Army National Guard. So I went to Army boot camp right out of high school. Um, that was brutal. Um, Full Metal Jacket kind of brutal. I was going to say, I just watched Full Metal Jacket two nights ago, and it does not look very fun. It was loud. It was noisy. It was hard. Uh, I gained 30 pounds while I was in boot camp, and it was all chest and arm muscles from doing so many stinking push-ups. And then two years later, three years later, I went to Navy boot camp, and and I won't say it was wimpy, but I was expecting it to be hard, and and it turned out to be – a lot more about education and and procedures and processes than it was about yelling and push-ups. Uh, so okay. it was much so different. what you're saying is if you're worried about boot camp, don't go to the Marines or Army, go to Navy. 
if you want to be a different person when you come out the other side, <laughs> go to the Army or the Marine Corps because they will make you a different person. If you want to learn something to start a career, I would recommend you stay in the Army or stay in the Navy. Go Navy. Got it. Yeah. So Mr. Waldron in the outline here put in the something about how asking me if you can swim or not, even though you're on an aircraft carrier for all that time. So did you learn how to swim in basic training? So, no. Uh, <laughs> I knew going in that th there would be a requirement in basic training to jump in the water from the deep on the deep end, uh, keep yourself afloat there for, for 60 seconds, and then travel the length of an Olympic swimming pool. Okay, um, I can't swim. I never learned to swim. I still can't swim. Um, I went to a local high school there uh, in, by where we lived and grew up. Uh, to, to try to practice and learn. And I learned that I, I'm a rock. I go to the bottom really quick. So the day we're supposed to do our swim test and boot camp, I knew that if I jumped in the water feet first, I was going to go to the bottom and I wouldn't be able to get myself up. So I kind of had to deliberately belly flop to try to minimize the amount of depth I would go under. I can doggy paddle. So I doggy paddle for a little while. And then I, knowing I couldn't swim, there's only one option. I just kind of laid over on my back and did a slow backstroke, kicking my feet the length of the pool. I was the <laughs> slowest one there by far. The drill sergeant was yelling and cursing at me and calling me a wimp. I said, but I got to the end of the pool. I got out and he says, well, I guess you passed. And uh, It's got to be terribly years. embarrassing for the Navy to have a career Navy guy in there for 26 years and you can't swim a lick. <laughs> So the good news is, and this is, is I was operating a reactor plant for 21 years and on aircraft carriers down in the, the bowels of the ship. If the ship ever went down, I'm not going to need to know how to swim because I'm going to drown in the end. So I wasn't worried about getting off the ship and surviving while the sharks were circling. I would never make it off the ship. So that's, and I was okay with that. So. so you obviously don't have a fear of water. It's just you can't swim in it. I just can't. So I'm a rock. I so. see. So how did that how did that continuum go from going in the Navy not knowing a lot to just kind of falling in love with it to ending up in nuclear science? How does that work? Well, you know, you you learn something about how a nuclear reactor works um, during the during the schools that you go to before they ever let you touch a ship. And, and I'd always wanted to be kind of involved in science. Um, you know, I wanted to be a research doctor kind of thing. When I got out of high school, I thought that's my path. So I was into science, you know, physics and chemistry and stuff. Well, it turns out that an operating reactor plant is all about understanding the physics and the chemistry. Um, so it just sort of felt natural to be doing that. Um, you know, so uh, I picked up on it right away. Uh, it was it was challenging, but it was fun to learn. And then, you know, kind of applying some of that hard work and stuff that I did growing up on that farm, it kind of just, I, it elevated me kind of above some of the other kids that were trying to learn it because they were kind of lazy and, you know, city boy type, uh, educations and growing up. And it just, it was easy to get along and easy to excel. And I kind of liked that. So I stuck with it. Yeah. So what exactly did you do around nuclear power? So I, uh, what was classified as a nuclear machinist mate, which means, uh, the mechanical equipment, the pumps, the valves, the turbines, um, you know, the, the condensers and heat exchangers, all the mechanical aspects of the support equipment that required to operate a nuclear reactor 
uh, that was what I did. I did the maintenance on them. I did the operations of them. Um, uh, you know, there were other people that did other things. There are electricians who kind of handled the electrical side and, and chemists who handled specifically the chemical side. And this is on uh, an aircraft I, carrier? Aircraft carrier, hands-on. Okay. I mean, I tear down a pump to parade rest, which is another – I shouldn't use that term. It's in a military term. But tear a pump down to its smallest piece and then put it back together. You know, that that's what I did um, for 21 years, getting hands in the grease, hands in the oil um, to make it, to make equipment work to keep a reactor plant running safe and efficiently. So. And did you have to have a lot of education to do that, or was it kind of more of a hands-on learning process through the Navy? So the Navy is pretty smart. They don't want to take an 18, 19 year old kid and put him in charge of a reactor. Okay. Yeah. So, what? what? So what they do is you get out of boot camp and then you start what's called the nuclear power pipeline, which is about 18 months to two years of schooling before they ever let you touch a ship and go on a reactor and touch a reactor. Um, you spend Six months learning basic, uh, you know, as a as a machinist mate or a mechanic, you know, learning what is a heat exchanger, what is a condenser, you know, showing you which end of a wrench and a screwdriver is the business end, um, you know, basic basic maintenance and basic uh, operation of equipment, and then they take you to six months of what's called nuclear power school, which is where you learn the physics of how does a reactor plant work, how is you know what's the what's the chemistry uh requirements have to be to keep you know a reactor plant from rusting out from underneath the ship you know because those ships are designed to last 50 years and so are those reactor plants you can't have them rusting away so you got to maintain chemistry and and preservation so you spend six months in the the details of how a reactor works and how to keep it going and then they send you to what's called a prototype which is six months at a uh an operational reactor, basically, a, a, for instance, right now in Charleston, South Carolina, there are two old submarines that are parked on the pier that are tied up, and everything has been decommissioned except for the reactor plants. And you go on there with an instructor basically holding your hand for six months, teaching you how to operate a reactor, how to respond to casualties, how to start it up, how to shut it down, how to maintain it for six months. And by the time you're done with all of that, Usually it's about two years into your Navy tour, and then they'll send you to your first ship or submarine. Um, you know, so that's that's how they train you to keep you safe and make sure you don't do anything really, really stupid um, to damage their really sterling uh, history of operations without accidents on the, in the Navy. Um, nearly, you know, over to over a hundred million miles of of ships and submarines steaming across the oceans with never a accident in 65 years. Yeah. So as someone who has a pretty rare job in that kind of science and just taught, I'm sure you get this question a lot. Can you explain how a nuclear reactor or just that whole process works in like a few minutes or is it way more yeah. complicated than that? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's actually very simple. Um, so I think everybody knows that uranium is a fissionable material. It's a naturally fissionable material. We put, a little bit of uranium um, inside of welded plates or tubes, introduce a few neutrons to cause the fission reaction to work. Um, the fission of uranium breaks the atom and, and creates heat. It, byproducts of fission are some, some other atoms 
some some neutrons to keep the reaction going and heat the heat is the important part now if you run we run water across the top of those plates that are holding that uranium that heat to remove that heat from those plates that water is circulated through um, a heat exchanger where we the heat from the uranium is transferred to heat in the water in that water that's passing over it which is transferred to another system of water uh, which causes that water to boil it's like a like a steam engine is that what you're talking about we're basically creating a steam engine but what we do with that steam is we run it down the pipes at high pressures and high energy high energy and we run that steam through turbines basically a, a giant pinwheel you know your kids toy you blow into it the thing spins that's really what we do is we blow steam across a turbine the rotational force of that drives you know a propeller to make the ship go through the water or an electrical generator to create electrical power. Um, we also use that steam to, uh, to uh, boil off seawater and distill it. And we, you know, an aircraft carrier creates about 400,000 gallons of pure water a day wow. out of the ocean. Um, and that's that steam also drives the engines. Um, an aircraft carrier fully loaded weighs about a hundred thousand tons. And we can drive that thing through the water using that steam to drive that propeller. We can drive that, that 100,000 ton ship through the water well in excess of 20 miles an hour. Wow. I can tell you how fast it really goes, but then I'd have to kill you. Um, <laughs> but, you can, but you can go look it up. Uh, Google, whatever. You can find out pretty quickly that 20 miles, 20 miles an hour is a very gross understatement. So, so that, but that's what nuclear power is. It's just harvest, harnessing the heat from a naturally occurring fission of uranium. Um, Very interesting. So, so in Oregon, we always are fighting, always fighting. And it's always an issue of removing dams and fish and where we're going to get power is nuclear power. The option that we need to be going to. And what's the last time built a new nuclear power plant in the United States? uh, About 30 years ago. Uh, my answer, I'm very biased, okay? Uh, I think it's, it is it is very safe. Like I say, the United States Navy has operated nuclear reactors on submarines and aircraft carriers since the, the 50s and early 60s, okay? We've never had a nuclear accident. If you're properly trained and you maintain them correctly, they're, they're, they're inherently safe. Um, you know, um, they create very little actual waste, um, you know, uh, these, this reactor on an, on a Nimitz class, on an, on an aircraft carrier, you know, we take a, 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 a barrel full of uranium about the size of maybe a car. And we operate a reactor for 25 years on an aircraft carrier. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. And then we refuel it and operate for 25 more years before we decommission the ship. Um, so there's not a lot of waste that's there. And when we're done with it, we process it. We re- we reuse what we can reuse to build the next reactor, you know. And we end up only burying a very small amount, which you guys probably know more about than I do. Living out there in the desert, uh, out in Hanford, Washington, is where we bury our waste. And you yeah. can look, you can see that after 50 years, there's one big pit, and it's a large pit. But 50 years of operation of the United States Navy, you know, that's a very small amount of waste for the for the the effort and the energy we get out of it. Yeah. Well, and, and, 
And Go public ahead, energy, public energy could do the same thing um, if they could get through the bureaucracy, um, the kind of the extremists that that are scared of it because they see Three Mile Island from four, 30 years ago, or they see uh, Fukushima over in Japan when they had an 80 foot tidal wave is what it took to cause the problem. Well, we don't have 80 foot tidal waves in the middle of Oregon, so you could probably get away with it out there, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if people want an answer to climate change and clean energy, then nuclear power is definitely your answer. It's the cleanest and most sustainable source of energy we have. It's just people hear stories about Chernobyl and, like you say, Three Mile well, Island and all those. And they well, Hanford, Hanford's a dirty word in Oregon, yeah, too. My so. uncle actually worked on the cleanup, but that he was a safety guy. Yep. And it that you know it take you have to do it right or it becomes ugly. Um, Chernobyl, you know the Russians didn't do it right. The, the Russians have sunk have lost submarines due to reactor accidents. Um, you know because they don't do it right. They don't train the way we train. They don't operate the way and they operate a different type of reactor. Yeah. Our reactors are cooled with water, which is naturally stable. Um, their reactors were cooled with. Uh, with liquid metal, which is naturally unstable. So, um, uh, yeah, so it's safe. It's effective. It's, it's, you know, from a cost and, and waste point of view, you just really can't beat it. Yeah. So let's talk about more things that people could more average people could relate to on a daily basis. Uh, so uh, did you live on an aircraft carrier for more than six months at a time? How many times did you go out? I did. So, so I, my first aircraft carrier was up in Bremerton, Washington. It was the Nimitz. Um, so basically an aircraft carrier has basically a two-year cycle. And in a two-year cycle, you will do um, one deployment. That deployment is usually somewhere between six and eight months long. You spend the, the year leading up to that doing in and out for 30 days, doing training and practicing. Um, letting the pilots practice landing their jets on this aircraft carrier, practicing operating the plants, plant operating the ship. So in a, in a course of a two-year period, you'll do about 12 months actually out to sea. Six to seven months of that are in one long stretch where you'll go you know, across the world and do whatever it is you do. Um, so I did that twice from the Nimitz in Bremerton, Washington, basically halfway around the world and back twice. Okay. Um, and then I did the same thing from Virginia on on the Enterprise. I did that four times, uh, halfway around the world and back four times, each one about about seven to eight months long. And then I did a trip around the the tip of South America to go take the the USS Reagan from Virginia around to San Diego. Um, you know, seen. I can't even I can't even figure that the total number of miles I've been out to sea, but I've been out to sea actually out to sea for about nine and a half to ten years, um, uh, which sounds horrible, but it was actually really great. If I wouldn't have gotten old and gotten you know weak in the knees and the back injuries and stuff, I'd still be doing. It. I loved every minute of it. Yeah, um, I have traveled around the world. I've seen, and I used to keep track of all the countries that I've been to because part of being in the Navy is. They like taking aircraft carriers into other into foreign ports and just showing them off because they're they're huge. Um, you know, I've been to Spain and France and Italy and Turkey and Israel and Greece um, and Portugal and South Korea, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, Thailand, the Philippines, uh, multiple countries in the Arabian Gulf. Um, 
And I've managed to also go oh, in Brazil, Chile, and Peru. And I've also managed in the course of my Navy career to travel through about 50, eh, about 45 of the 50 states in the country, traveling back and forth, so including wow. Hawaii. So, yeah, I can imagine you get some pretty crazy looks when people see a massive aircraft carrier pulling up to their coasts in different countries like that. Yeah, it's 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 a very formidable looking weapon, and and that's really what it is. People don't want to forget that. That's its purpose is to um, take action where needed, and when not needed, maybe just strike a little bit of fear in the hearts of people who might get some some uh, bad ideas about what they want to do to our country or our friends. Yeah. So, so were you deployed in the Iraq War then? I was. I did. Uh, I did all six of my tours. We ended up in the Arabian Gulf, and all six of my deployments, we ended up uh, dropping bombs in some for, in some fashion in Iraq. Yeah. Um, uh, starting in 1993 um, was the first time I was there. So, but every every deployment I've been in, we've been there. Jets taking off from the flight deck, fully loaded with bombs, and then coming home empty. Um, doing doing what we were asked to do it was uh i won't say it was fun but i i don't regret it uh you know the the ultimately the the, the toll on human life is is hard when you get the united states navy upset at you um but we did what we needed to do and i'm not you know i think it was a, it was a good thing so yeah. So do you miss that job actually being on an aircraft carrier now that you're working at a Navy headquarters location kind of down the river from oh, the Pentagon? Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm a hands-on guy. I love being in the, you know, I'd like say arm deep in the, in the grease pit trying to fix a pump or a valve. You know, that was that was what I loved doing. Um, you know, it was good times. I, I enjoyed working with the people, you know, a bunch of young kids new in the Navy and teaching them and watching them grow. Um, ultimately for most of my career after the first, basically after the first couple of years, um, I, I, I was a teacher as much as anything. And in fact, I even went to, uh, one of our prototypes where we teach new students and taught there for, for three years. Um, but that was kind of my role was to, to teach, but it was hands-on teaching. It was, you know, here, you're doing that wrong. Let me show you. And then I'll let you do it next time. Kind of training. And I love that kind of stuff. Um, so like shop work, it was it was shop work. It was but you know on the deck. Hey, let's tear this pump apart, and yeah. people would walk down into my engine room, and I'd have a pump laid out across the floor. You know, pieces here, bearings there, and shims there, and a shaft there, and you know, laid out across the floor with my drawing there, and say, okay, now let's put it back together. That yeah, was kind of what I did. Um, if you got to be a teacher, that's the way to be a teacher, because. Book work does not is not fun, and neither is this distance learning, is it? No, Justin? definitely not. I can't imagine, you know. And so now, so now I'm, you know, and I, I would love to be doing that. I'd still be doing that, but I just got old. Um, ultimately, the Navy would have forced me to retire after 30 years. I got 26 in, uh, but you know, walking on a steel floor because that's you're walking on a ship, you know, for 20 plus years wearing steel-toed boots you know it's hard on the ankles and knees and your lower back and it just it just got too much so i couldn't continue doing it i got really lucky um that there was having to be an opportunity to come up and work at naval reactors headquarters um i was actually on the enterprise which like i said is the oldest was the oldest aircraft carrier um and the best by far 
Uh, I was on it. I'd spent nine years there. And a guy who worked at Naval Reactors headquarters for 30 years, his entire 30 years, his job was to be kind of the, the lead engineer and the 911 guy for the enterprise. That was his whole life. And he was retiring and they were looking for somebody who could come up and kind of take over that role that knew the enterprise. And I had to kind of, like I say, I, I, I've always kind of been able to stand out in a crowd because of the things my parents taught me and about how to be a good person. And I had somebody who recommended me and I had no idea he was going to do that. So I came up, they invited me up to headquarters for an interview. The only question they asked me is, will you stay here after you retire? And I said, sure. So went up there. Um, and now what I do is I train other engineers, uh, get a lot of them straight out of the Navy Academy or other uh, engineering universities who get hired on. They come on and they're, they've never been on a ship, but I teach them how a ship operates. I teach them, you know, how procedures work. And that's what we do up there is we answer the phone when a ship has a problem. Um, they call us and we answer, you know, we pull out our manuals and our books and we say, okay, this is your problem. Here's what you need to do about it. And I teach junior engineers, you know, how to work with shipyards and, you know, ships force captains and, and engineers on ships and our laboratory folks who do all the work, you know, the, the science stuff, um, teach them, teach them how to deal with those people and to respond to the ships so that we can keep the ships functioning and ready to go to sea whenever they're needed. So is the uh, is the NSA going to be uh, uh, pulling this out off our podcast? How, what's your security clearance for? So <laughs> what's your security clearance I, like? I say my, my security clearance is I am I am uh, top secret clearance, um, and nothing I say has any security classification at all. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. Um, you know, you if my my son when he was in high school he had to do a report in school and he chose to do a report on nuclear power. On, aircraft, on Navy nuclear power. And he went to the library and to Google and wrote a report. And I was afraid they were going to come and get me. It <laughs> turns out everything he wrote, which, I mean, he, he had numbers and pressures and temperatures that he got out of Google and out of the local library. So, you know, there's, there's not a lot of secrets out there other than maybe where our ships are at and some of the parameters, some of the parameters that we operate are, are secret, but most of it's not, so I'm not, I'm not too worried about that part of it. Huh. But you're not allowed to have your cell phone or take pictures or anything when you go to work. Is that no, no. no? My my work cell phone, they've disabled the camera and put uh, programs on there to monitor it. And um, but yeah, my personal cell phone, I yeah, I can't go into the office with my personal cell phone. I can't take pictures. You can't take any kind of a device that can uh, record and store information um, in with you because they people you know have a tendency to walk out with that stuff occasionally um so we just don't do it um and and we have to be careful what we say on the phone when we're having our phone calls with our ships and our shipyards and laboratories you know we get into some very significant detail and we have uh put in place some communication devices and opportunities where we can have classified discussions safely and securely but most of the time we just kind of speak in code yeah, I would imagine you just assume the the Chinese and Russians are listening as as well as the NSA. I would guess. Well, we we, we know they are. Um, <laughs> you, 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 you know, and you can you can go Google Chinese aircraft carriers, and they look remarkably like oh, our new aircraft. fighter jets and everything look almost identical jet, to ours. 
exactly. You know, they have stolen our information, stolen our, our, our technology. Um, and, and, and unfortunately we're really good at building military equipment and they're really good at building more of it and building it faster. So it's a little bit of a challenge. Um, you know, but I think the Navy's up to it. We'll, we'll keep growing and building and keeping up with them. And yeah, but we have to be careful. They are watching all the time. So when I, when I brought students down to Norfolk, the face students, what aircraft carrier was that, that we got to tour? Uh, if I took you on an aircraft carrier, it would have been on the enterprise. Okay. And that's the one we went there after hours. And I think that was before, uh, 9-11 because we went all over there. We actually up in the, up in the top where the uh, captain sat. And that was pretty awesome. That was really funny. I mean, I, I love, I love what I do down in the engine room. But the aircraft carrier itself is just an amazing tool. Um, yeah, I used to take uh, tours, you know, Nat and Chad and his group of kids. Um, we'd go up to the, the flight deck, which is, you know, if you can imagine, four and a half acres of flat surface where the jets are landing and taking off and being maintained. And that's the top of an aircraft carrier, four and a half acres of surface. And we'd go up from there up to the uh, the bridge where the captain directs the ship and, you know, you're – you're basically nine stories above the flight deck. Um, but, but, you know, overall, you've got 1,100 feet long, 350 feet wide, uh, about 18 stories tall, um, you know, 100,000 tons, over a million gallons of, of, of gas to keep the, the jets flying uh, when they're operational. Um it's just amazing. And, and about 5,000 to 5,500 people operating on a ship out to sea for six months at a time. It is a floating city. They've got, they don't need any outside support other than occasionally it's nice to get some fresh salad and fruit because, uh, you know, you get tired of eating rice and chicken. Um, but yeah, it's a self-contained floating city, floating air force really is what it is. So, well, that is quite an amazing story. Uh, I don't, yeah, that's uh, that is a crazy. Yeah, that's just a crazy life path. So to conclude here, what advice do you have for high school seniors like me and other people who are thinking about going in the Navy but don't know exactly what they want to do? Well, great question. Glad you asked. I wasn't going to let you get away without me trying to recruit every one of you. <laughs> um, well, my advice to you is very, very sincerely consider joining the military. I'm partial to the Navy. I don't care whether you go to the Army, the Air Force, or Marines. I'm partial to the Navy. I think you should go. Um, if you if you if you've got a full ride scholarship to go to college, go to college. I, I don't have anything against that. If you if you have any questions about how you're going to pay for college, join the Navy. Okay. The, the The GI Bill is the Navy's college program. You give them four to six years of your life learning a skill, learning a trade, and they will pay for your college. Um, when it came time for me to, to, to get my degree, I just got it while I was still in the Navy. So I was able to transfer my GI Bill to my daughter, and she went to school for four and a half years, tuition, books, fees, cost of living, and extra money to buy a pizza now and again not dime out of her pocket or mine for four and a half years because of the Navy's GI bill. Okay. You absolutely cannot beat it. Uh, 
And I've been told that somewhere on the area order of about two hundred to thousand dollars worth of bank just for putting in four to four to six years of your life. Okay. Um, the nuclear navy. We're looking for engineers. We're looking for kids who like math and science. Um, if you join the navy and you want to be a nuke like I was, um, instead of starting out as an E1, you automatically start out as an E3. It's a significant pay increase. When you get you through that first school I talked about, that learning your basics about mechanics or electrical, they make you an E4. So that's another pay raise. Um, when you finish your two years of schooling to before they ever send you to a ship, if you'll agree to add two more years to your to your contract, okay, the current bonus right now is $90,000 for that two additional years. Wow. In the course of a 12-year Navy career, okay, you can re-enlist three times in 12 years. Each one of those is worth $90,000 to the Navy. Wow. Um, if you happen to do that while you're operating off the coast of Iraq or some other place that's still categorized as a war zone, that's tax-free. The government doesn't touch a penny. So you can get yourself up to you know $270,000 in addition to already a really good paycheck. And a good job, a learning experience, seeing the world. You know, I, I don't know what Oregon is like where you guys are at. Uh, you know, I talked to Mr. Waldron there, and uh, it seems like a really nice place. But there's a whole world out there, guys. Um, go see it if you get a chance. It's really cool. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention, since, well, since all kids love to talk about money, just for joining the Navy and the, the nuclear program right now, the bonuses are at $35,000. Wow. So, you kidding? Wow. That's more so, than you make a whole year starting out as a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> it does. And that pisses a lot of people off. But, you know, we, we're, we're only looking for the best and the brightest. And when we get them, we want to make sure they stay. So it's worth it to the Navy to, you know, like I say, we're going to spend two years educating you before we send you to the first ship. We don't want you running away as soon as you finish up your first tour because we've invested a lot in you. Um, yeah. So anyway, see the world. Like I say, I can count out the countries I've visited, the places I've seen. And I can also, you know, when I was a young kid in the Navy, the bonuses were nowhere near that. Um, they were less than a third of that. But it's still a big chunk of change for a kid with, you know, yeah. a, couple, it, a couple it, years of experience. So yeah. I'm hey, all for it. Go ahead, Kurt. Like I say, I'm all for it. I, I encourage it. You know, if you, even if you don't go in the nuclear Navy, there's still opportunities out there. There's lots of jobs, aircraft mechanics, radar techs, electricians. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, opportunities to learn a skill set for a few years if you don't know what you want to do. Um, when, who knows what they want to do when they get out of high school? Most people don't. So this is an opportunity to try out something um, and see the world and see, do something different. Get out, get out of the hometown. Um, if anybody has any questions about, you know, nuclear power, United States Navy in general, they're thinking about it, you know, Mr. Waldron has got my phone number. I yeah. can call me or I can call you. I'd love yeah. to talk to you more about it. So, yeah. Hey, before, before we end, Justin, I want to go back up to the top of the outline. We missed some stuff. So you're talking about skill sets and, and shop lot. What does, did your time in, in high school, ag and FFA, help at all with what you're doing now well it did in in, in a lot of ways kind of not necessarily directly um you know but uh you know growing up going through the ag class and the ffa stuff 
you know, you, you learned a lot of skill set. Uh, like I said, I'm a mechanic. That's my title, machinist, made or mechanic. Well, you know, I learned to weld from Mr. Summers. I learned how to to do uh, work with tools and what how to properly use tools, which which sounds kind of silly, but you'd be amazed at how many kids don't know how to use a wrench right, you know, or how to to, to disassemble something using the proper tools. Yeah. To or even how to speak. Were you an FFA officer at the chapter? I was. Interesting. I was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was. I was. I was actually the president of the chapter in the senior year, but I didn't take ag class, and that caused Mr. Summers a lot of heartache. <laughs> yeah, um, I would not like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually got caught up in it. In, in, in you know, sometimes fate happens. I wanted to take a physics class, and the physics class was only offered during the senior ag time frame. So I, I chose to take the, the physics class, which is part of the reason why I was uh, eligible to go into the Navy in the new program. Um, but what I did is I took a kind of a, a assistant shop position, you know, for an hour for Mr. Summers. Um, oh, that kind of sounds like you, Justin. Yeah, a little bit. So, so that, that gave me an opportunity to actually work one-on-one with Mr. Summers. He taught me a lot about uh, teaching which is what I spent most of my life doing is teaching in a different way. Um, you know, and I learned tools. I learned, I learned, uh, and really what I learned is how to do a lot of hard work that not a lot of other people were wanted to do or could do. Um, and that translated directly over to operating reactor plants on aircraft carriers. Um, yeah, my experience with ag and FFA was, was absolutely positive. Uh, you can go back home to dad's house and, some of the, the gates and the, the, the mangers that I built at the ag shop, you know, TIG welding and stick welding are still there 30 plus years later. Um, you know, that's a skill set that not very many people have that uh, you learn in ag, you know, how to weld, how to how to build things. So, yeah, and, you know, every once in a while you learn how to taste copper or onions or weeds or whatever in milk, which I had to do that, too, which is not one of my favorite experiences. But I did that stuff, too. That was, yeah. Yeah, and chicken judging too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but it, I learned a lot in ag that I, like I say, it didn't directly translate over, but it certainly uh, played a role. You know, you can't be a good mechanic if you don't know which end of a hammer to hold. And I learned that uh, in ag shop um, firsthand. So, right. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I'm not by far not looking back. I'm still in FFA, obviously, but I think one of the best things it does is it instills members with hardworking values and things like that and social skills i mean even even with through leadership events even if you're not getting down and dirty with welding and soil judging and all that i think it does help people in the workforce later in life just by teaching them how to be good people absolutely yeah you know um i learned you know parliamentary procedure and then all that stuff that goes along with it well that stuff just learn how to be a nice person how to communicate and get your point across is important and a lot of that came out of ffa um so it was it was a good experience. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I had I had I will say I had the best ag teacher in the world. Maybe you guys think you got a good one, but <laughs> yours was taught by the same one who taught me. So they, they're probably pretty good. Um, yeah, we all we had five boys in the family, and we all went through Mr. Summers' program, and that's yeah, what a what a good ag teacher. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Um, so I have one more question before we go here, and this one people probably are going to get a kick out of. 
Uh, what are some big similarities and big differences between the movies and real life on an aircraft carrier? Uh, yeah, I, I want to know if like those Top Gun guys yeah, are like exactly. as big a jerk as they look like on the movie. So, so I, I wasn't on the carrier when Top Gun was filmed, but I will tell you that the biggest difference is Tom Cruise is a real jerk. Um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that comes across in the movie, but he was a complete ass. Um, yeah. Uh, arrogant, arrogant SOB. Um, the movies don't portray reality hardly at all, other than they show the power of an aircraft carrier and the power of the jets. Um, the guts of the ship are never in the movies. The engine rooms, the, you know, everything from the engineers that run the engine rooms to the cooks that are keeping the food going 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Because you're, you're cycling 5,500 people through, and they're all standing watching, doing work, and there is no set dinner time. It's when do you get a minute? You know, the doctors and the dentists that are on aircraft carriers take care of all the, the needs that are there. And then there's the, the clerks and admin people who keep the paychecks flowing. The movies never show any of that. And it's a, it is literally a floating city um, with all the things that are required to run a city. And the movies talk about, you know, a couple pilots up on the top you know, that are jerks anyway. Um, <laughs> how, how many people did you say 5,500? 5,500 5, on an aircraft carrier. That's yeah. almost as many people as in this entire County. Yep. Yeah. Put them all together on a, on a ship <laughs> 1100 feet long and see how friendly you are. You know, you, yeah. that, but that's what the movies don't really get to, which, which I'm okay with that. Um, but it's, 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 always entertaining to watch a movie that talks about aircraft carriers or the Navy in general. And, you know, the, the, the power that's there, the, the resources that are there and, you know, their ability to affect, you know, world policies, that's all great, but that's really, you know, doesn't talk about what makes it all happen, which is the, you know, the 18, 19, 20 year old kid down there that hasn't slept for two days because his pump doesn't work and he needs to get it working so they can get to the next mission. Um, that's what they miss. And that's, that's the important part that I, you know, that's what I did. That's what I worked on. So that stuff means a lot more to me than, than anything that's in a movie. Um, movies are great recruiting tools, uh, but they miss the mark by a long shot when it comes to what's really going on on a ship. Yeah. Well, that was a great answer to conclude a great interview. Massive thank you to Kirk Walden for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the Cowboy Talk podcast. We really appreciate it and would love to have you back on in the future. You've been listening to the Yeah. You've been listening to the Cowboy Talk podcast which can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean along with being shared on the North Lake FFA Facebook page. I said it before and I'm going to say it many 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 more times. Please share this podcast in any possible way whether that means word of mouth or sharing it with your Facebook friends so that we can get new listeners and while you're there leave a five-star review in places like Apple Podcasts so that more people can find us without it being shared. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.